This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann. I am in Fakatani. I am in the kitchen of Mawera Karatai, who is sitting beside me. Can I say welcome, Mawera? I'm going to. <laughs> no, I'm going to say welcome, Sam. <laughs> welcome, Sam, and everyone else to my kitchen. How has it been today? It's been amazing, actually. Um, I've been writing some pretty cool stuff, and... It's just flowing out of my fingers. There's something magic about having you here, and um, you can't leave until I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) We are all looking forward to it being handed in. Yeah, it's not far away. It's going to be an amazing thing. It is, and I can't wait for our graduation at the end of the year. To walk across the stage with the two people I started this with as well. So all three of us are handing in this year, um, and we all get to finish. We started together and we'll finish together. And who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Rebecca McLeod. Rebecca McLeod is in Dunedin. Uh, she is a mum of two with strong connections to Rakiora, to Dunedin and to Fiordland. She's the chair of the Fiordland Marine Guardians and she's also involved in trapping locally and forest restoration and is busy making our natural world a better place to be. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you. Welcome, Rebecca. That's an amazing list of things to be involved in. How? Let's go back to bubbles first, though. How was your bubble life? Ah, oh, wow. It it just when I think back to the bubble, I just um, have this enormous sense of relief, which is a weird thing when you think about. Um, it feels like a privileged feeling to have, I suppose. But um, at, at the start of uh, last year, my family and I decided that we would relocate down to Rakiura and put, put our children in the school down there and um, and spend a bit of time working remotely from the island. And um, and that was that was super cool. But obviously, as the COVID situation developed, it, it became a pretty tweaky, tweaky sort of a place to be. It was sort of like we were down in this really isolated place and um, could almost it was almost like you could feel the war front sort of advancing towards you and people started to really freak out down there um, and so we had to make the call whether we were going to stay or go um, where we were going to do our lockdown and um, in the face of all that uncertainty we decided we needed to up sticks and get back to Dunedin really quickly and I think we managed to make it back within about two hours um, of the lockdown deadline so <laughs> we were pretty panicked and um, so the getting home and like locking the gate to our property and just taking a breath was such a just feeling of calm after a few weeks of feeling incredibly anxious and we continued to have a have, we were really lucky we had a beautiful lockdown um, on our property and with having some really good family time so it was actually a really good experience where is home um in, in Dunedin we're sort of out um a bit rural in Dunedin so we've got this big block of land which is 
mostly covered in gorse, to be honest. We say regenerating forest. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, mostly gorse. To be honest, um, we never ever feel on top of this place. We've got big <laughs> dreams for it. The lockdown was the only time I think we've ever felt like we were maybe starting to conquer the beast. Um, that's gone again now, obviously. <laughs> You actually made progress during lockdown because so many people have said they had great plans for doing that sort of thing during lockdown and it didn't happen and they're quite happy with that. <laughs> yeah, we, we run a pretty punishing regime around here. We're sort of active relaxers, so um, there was a lot of chainsawing and a lot of um, <laughs> spraying, of course, and planting trees and um, weeding and all those things. So, um, yeah, it felt really sort of constructive and proactive. It was good. And the kids were in school remotely or, or they, they were in school? Did you have to change schools at the, at the start of lockdown? Yeah. yeah, it was really strange. So we sort of came back and they went from having um, a classroom of, or a school of 30 kids um, on Stewart Island to come back here and go into the classrooms which each had 30 kids in. And they were, you know, online with these teachers that we'd never met. And so and joining a class of kids that they didn't, no, so well, some of them obviously, but um, so it was quite strange to get into that rhythm, and I don't think we really achieved it to be honest. But um, hey, we had a good time around home, so I sort of um decided we'd just we'd just try and roll with the punches. Otherwise, it was just going to be a bit a bit bit painful to be honest. Mm. And you were doing the the sort of homeschooling thing at the time as well, because they were online now for some of the time. But you, everyone's talking about yeah. how they were doing bits themselves. Yeah, we started off with a hiss and a roar, all sorts of creativity. And then the kids told me that I was way, you know, made them do way more work than they did at school when they got really sick of it. So I just sort of gave up, to, <laughs> to be honest. And then, yeah. and then you realised that building tree huts was probably just as good learning. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and also, that, like, we were pretty lucky to have um, Susie Cato on the home learning TV. She was... um. She was my saviour as well when we were both trying to get our work done at home. So, yeah. We had her on the show this week, last, yeah, last, week. last late last week. She was absolutely fabulous. And I think she really enjoyed yeah. that, yeah. that connecting with the country through that. And the, and the high oh. stress of, right, we've got to do this and we have to do it now and these are the resources that we've got and we've got to make it work. And, and work it did. It was mm. beautiful. So were you working oh, from home? Were you working from home? So, um, yeah, I, I do work from home always. So um, it wasn't so bad for me, apart from I ended up with my husband in my office as well and then, you know, the kids from time to time. So, um, um, yeah, but my work's generally pretty flexible. So I sort of managed to fit that in around and we'd sort of have turns, turns being on meetings and turns watching the kids. And it all, it was a sort of happy, messy, hilarious time, really. <laughs> Frustrating, so all the same. So what is the work that you do? Um, so, so yeah, I chair the Field and Marine Guardians, and, and that's sort of my main job at the moment. Um, I'm actually a, a marine ecologist by training, um, and but I'm, I'm not in doing my own research anymore, so I'm more into kind of, um, I guess it's like marine management um, in a sense, although it's more sort of like people management, to be honest. <laughs> um, so we're a group that, um, it, it, I don't know if you know the story of the Fjord and Marine Guardians, but it's, it's such a cool part of history to be involved with. So That is um, my very next so, question. Right. <laughs> so um, well, back in the 90s, there were a group of, uh, of mostly commercial fishers that started to get really concerned about the sustainability of 
of fisheries in the Fiordland Marine area. And at that time, you know, the, the cray fishery had was largely well until the quota management system came in, was largely unregulated and there was lots of blue cod fishing and there were just the, the fisheries just weren't sustainable. And so um they this group came together and decided that they would work to come up with a strategy for how to better manage the whole of the Fiordland Marine area, which is an enormous, enormous, enormous part of New Zealand's coastline. Um, and over the years, they they joined forces with, or well, they brought other people into the mix. So they they had really close links with with mana whenua and with uh, all of the different stakeholders in the Fiordland Marine area. So the commercial tourist operators, um, the recreational fishers, uh, the environmentalists, all the people that that had had an interest in the Fiordland Marine area, and together they came up with and um, negotiated and agreed on a management strategy for this place, which was really, really innovative at the time. Um, and then they went and took that strategy to government and said, we've done all the consultation, we're all in agreement, here's what needs to happen to solve the problems in Fiordland. And luckily at the time, they struck a couple of ministers who were incredibly open to, and supportive to this idea. And so they basically turned that strategy into an act and the Fieldland Marine Management Act was born in 2005. Part of that act was to establish this group of guardians, the Fieldland Marine Guardians. And our role uh, is, to, uh, is to promote sort of integrated management of the Fieldland Marine area. So we work with the community um, and we also work with um, all of the management agencies like DOC and the council and um, Ministry for Primary Industries. And we bring everyone together and make sure that we're all heading in the same direction um, and have a, have a following the Guardian's vision for the field and marine area. So that's Fjord, a long story. But Fiordland, <laughs> with the exception of Milford, is almost a mythical place to most of us. Because you, it's pretty hard to get into, and particularly hard to get into the the marine bit on the other side. So yeah, you're really privileged to be able to not just get there, but be looking after it. Oh, it's an enormous privilege, and and I I feel this huge sense of responsibility. We we all do. We we all there's eight of us that that are field and marine guardians, and um we've all been appointed because we have this we have sort of different connections to the fuel and marine area and different levels of expertise and um, and knowledge and um, and all of us are so deeply connected to this place that we we just totally bought into this vision of making sure that we leave it in a better place than what it is now um for future generations to use and to enjoy so um we know we're incredibly lucky it's a, it's a even though it's a really remote place that faces a, an enormous amount of challenges um and so our work is very diverse. We look at we from things ranging from you know, marine biosecurity through to tourism pressure, and we do a lot of work with fisheries, um, all sorts of things. And so, um, but it's all connected, and it all comes back to people at the end of the day, and and people's um, appreciation for the place and respect for it. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have the Beatles. Love me do. Why this one? Ah, when you mentioned the, you know, I thought lockdown, what song sticks out to me? And um, my parents had their 50th wedding anniversary during the lockdown and they live in Nelson and my family are sort of spread all over the place. And so we decided we'd come together on Zoom and have a wee party and pop a bottle of bubbly and, and celebrate them and their marriage. And um, we decided we would all do skits. And so my family, um, my two wee kitties and my husband, we put together kind of this ridiculous um, 
video, music video about my mum and dad's um, life together. Um, and my dad was always just, has always been obsessed with the Beatles. And so we, we did our little show to Love, Love Me Do. people reporting an increase of birdsong during lockdown whether it was real or not doesn't matter that people were at least aware of it how did Fiordland cope with the lockdown ah oh, it was um it was a, a really interesting time for Fiordland I think I mean um in February before the lockdown January February there was these enormous floods that ripped through Fiordland and did an, a huge amount of damage to the infrastructure the roads and um, and basically um, the whole season was stuffed from from a tourism perspective so um, so the community was already really suffering not just in, in Tiano and um, and all around and um, so I think the I think it was a and it still continues to be a really affected part of the country um, economically from from the COVID lockdown and the loss of, of tourism um, it, it was it was really interesting though because it was like Fiordland got to stop and take a breath and I think um, we were definitely feeling that as as the tourism pressure had been ramping up and up it was like the dial had been turning cranking 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 up um, for the few years preceding the the COVID uh, pandemic um, we sort of felt like we we were losing control of the the visitor pressure in Fiordland, and um, we were really ill-equipped in terms of 
ways to respond to that and to, to manage it. And we were very worried about the kinds of damage that all of these visitors were doing to the natural character of the place and to the spirit of the place and to the, the just the wilderness experience, not to mention the fisheries um, and, and other environmental considerations. So um, in, uh, just after the lockdown, the Guardians got together and we went to Milford Sound. And it was such a strange experience because it was pretty much a ghost town. And we keep getting asked, you know, what's, what's an appropriate level of visitors for Milford Sound? Or, you know, how many cruise ships can we have going in there? Or how many boats? And it's a really hard thing to answer. But when we got in there, for the first time in many years, you, you could hear Milford Sound, Pio Pio Tahi again and you could smell it you could smell the forest and the sea and you weren't just smelling the deep fryers and the burners off the <laughs> off the ships um, and and you could see it again and appreciate it without there just being this rush of people and traffic and helicopters and planes and and ships so um it was it was a really interesting time for us to reflect on what's happened in fjordland and what we want the future in there to be so um a real mixed bag i would say in summary. Do you think that there will be any measurable impacts, presumably positive, on on the marine ecosystem? Will you be able to tell a, a trace in the environmental record? Uh, well, so the interesting thing is, you know, we lost all the international tourists, but all of a sudden there's all these, all these Kiwis that are stuck in New Zealand that have all this money that they've saved up for holidays and wanted to get away and experience Aotearoa. And so we end, we've we ended up with an enormous amount of domestic tourists paying the money to get onto these charter vessels and go into the more remote parts of Fjordland, um, so, such as Dusky Sound, for example. And I actually think you probably will find that the fishing pressure has been higher than normal in, in those southern parts. Um, international tourists tend not to go on the fishing the fish, they don't tend not to go fishing. They they go and they jump on a big boat and they cruise around for a couple of hours and then they leave again. So, um, so no, I don't I don't think you'll notice it in the in the marine life um, in a positive way. Um, I, I imagine that like the dolphins might have quite enjoyed having a bit of a break from all of that ship noise and Milford <laughs> Sound, for example. Um, so, so might have to interview some dolphins. There was some in Otago Harbour the other day. I saw them. <laughs> Does that suggest that the the notion of having Milford almost as a sacrificial lamb of Fiordland is is actually working? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's probably the way that it has always been regarded as that we'll make sure everyone goes to Milford and leaves the rest of the place alone. Um, but yeah, I think this has really made people think differently. And you know, when um, Kiwis keep away from have kept away from Milford because They've been scared off by the busyness of the place and it doesn't feel like a place that's welcoming for Kiwis. Um, I mean, it does right now, but it didn't at the start of the year. Uh, so, I yeah, I think there's also been, um, a, there's a review underway at the moment, which started way before COVID, um, looking for opportunities for Milford and how we can kind of reset the, um, the visitor experience in there and, and change the way we do things. So that's going to government in the next few weeks actually and I think it's come at a really interesting time because now people maybe can visualise what an alternative Milford might look like um, in a positive way. Lots of the 
um, conservation programs around the country are funded, at least in part, by ecotourism operations. Has that been, mm. has that put anything under threat in Fiordland? Yeah, that, again, that question's on the money, um, <laughs> literally. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, Southland has a really small ratepayer base. Um, there's, there's not many people that live in Southland, which is part of the reason why it's such a fabulous place. Um, however, um, we've got an enormous coastline, not just around Fiordland, but um, around Rakiura as well, and all of these little offshore islands. Um, so it's it's really expensive to do coastal work and to manage coastal systems well. And um, one of the ways that the council, the regional council got revenue was to charge the cruise ships that come into the Field and Marine area for the privilege to visit that place. Um, and they generated a substantial amount of money, which then went into doing marine work around biosecurity and compliance and all sorts of things in Fjordland. Um, and that money obviously dried up the moment that COVID came along. So I would say, yes, it's had a, had a huge impact um, on the progress or the speed of progress for which the council can do work um, that focuses on looking after the marine environment. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mahi arohanui, kia koutou, kotahua I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making better. Thank you. As we all know, we've been moving through a very interesting and challenging time together for the last more than a year since the global pandemic began for us and these five minutes with you have helped me so much over that time thank you so much to sam and the whole blowing bubbles team for having me being able to share this time with you has helped me reframe and reconceptualize what's taking place for me and for for all of us so thank you again for support I know that you've been hearing from my dear friend Rebecca Guest, who I really love, and she's so amazing. Such an inspiring, incredible goddess and wonderful, wonderful marine scientist who I first met many years ago when I was working at the Portobello Aquarium and, and Marine Studies Centre, which was wonderful. And of course, she's had many adventures all over the world and, and now is putting her time and energy into caring for the whenua here in Aughty Porty Stuneden, so I'm so grateful for the work that she's doing. And of course for all of us in Aotearoa, we're all, all contributing our skills in different ways and we're so lucky that we can frolic about freely and I think it's important that we do our best to care as much as we can for ourselves and each other and the world that surrounds us so that we can really support and inspire the world at this difficult time. So I know that for all of us, it's so important that we are able to move in this world feeling safe and feeling that we can share those precious, precious gifts that we uniquely hold, that we've brought with us into this world and, and nurtured and cherished throughout our lives so that they can grow and come out into the world. And I think an important aspect of this process is understanding what we need to be in place in order to feel safe within this process. So that might be learning to express our 
our needs in a way that works for us and in the same way that there are so many life forms that were brought to Aotearoa New Zealand with the best of intentions. Often people around us can do things with the best of intentions but they're not what is right for us. So with kindness, with humanity, without cruelty, we can selectively exclude some aspects of behaviours or communication styles or actions, whatever it is, in order for us to be able to flourish in just the same way that wonderful Bex is humanely removing these wonderful life forms, possums, rats, stoats, of course, who are brilliant in their own right, but have such a destructive impact here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, through no fault of their own, just because of their nature. So I really hope that for you, you are feeling comfortable to put boundaries in place in your life, state your needs and feel that this is actually a very kind process because you're letting those other life forms around you and your environment have the best relationship with you and by doing this and by practicing this I feel that we can all co-evolve more harmoniously. So I really hope for you you're enjoying moving in the world in a way that works for you and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Rebecca McLeod. Rebecca, one of the uh, things that I've been looking at in my work is, um, is the power of imagination. And I find uh, talking to our young people these days that when we're talking about, uh, talking about environmental issues, they can be quite negative. Um, the, the burden of... Uh, I guess all of the media that they're fed all the time um, it weighs heavy on them and they struggle to see a positive way forward in our environmental space so how do you make that work with your kids and the people that you work with um, you know with your scientist hat on and your teacher hat on and your restorer of environment hat on it's a lot of hats you wear <laughs> yeah, I lose, lose a few hats from time to time. They get quite confusing. <laughs> misplaced. Um, yeah, uh, it, yeah. I, it must be. It, I see that in in young people that that weight of responsibility, and and I've and it's it's legitimate. I totally can understand why they feel like that. I mean, you watch the news or you listen to everyone's talking about the state of the environment at the moment, which is really great, but also it can be really um, disheartening and. Um, I, I guess um, maybe we really, we're really privileged in New Zealand in that there's so much hope in our environment um, and, and still we've got so, you know, the environment is in a relatively good state in many parts of the country and there's all these incredible environmental movements and projects happening that people can get involved with. So I think um, if you were just to sit in a room and listen to the media nonstop and read and you know you could get quite into the doom and gloom but if you actually get out into the forest or into the onto the coastline or just get outside um you'll you quickly begin to appreciate that there's there is a lot of a lot to be hopeful for um and there's a lot that you can do to make small improvements and contribute um in your local area so if you're thinking you know how am I going to save the world I mean unless you're Greta Thunberg, I don't really know quite how how that <laughs> <laughs> um, 
on. But um, but there's there's a space there for everyone to get out there and get involved in these projects. And I think when you are doing doing even just a small thing, and you can see the um, positive impacts of of that small thing that you're doing, um, you quickly start to realise that there's a collective action going on around the world, and that. You know, together we can we can fix this. I haven't given up hope at all. There's um, so yeah, I guess just I would say get, you know get outside and and get amongst it and and be proactive and it definitely shifts your mindset. In my experience, can people get involved in Fiordland? Uh, there are some projects in Fiordland that that people can get involved with, but like you say, it's a very um, remote place, so it's quite difficult to get to. Um. We've just had um, some some new funding announced through the Jobs for Nature program. We've got this invasive seaweed um, called Undaria, which is the first invasive species that we know of um, to reach Fiordland. And it's, it's getting a bit out of control. We've been battling it for years, but not with sufficient resource. Um, so the Jobs for Nature program that's just been announced is going to be um, employing people that are out of work from the tourism sector mostly, um, from Southland and then training them up to be scuba divers and all the way through to being underwater biosecurity but surveillance technicians. Um, so that's a, that'd be a, if I was a pitkanker and didn't have all these hats to wear all the time, it'd be such a cool <laughs> opportunity to just be like, you know, here we go, we'll, we'll, we'll carry you through on this journey and we'll get you into this incredible part of New Zealand and you can get hands on and really be part of this amazing project. So um, so there's that and then there's also a coastal cleanup which happens, which is um, a, run by the um, Southern Coastal Charitable <laughs> Trust. The um, resources from helicopter pilots and from fishing vessels in the fishing industry, and they take volunteers and deposit them on the coastline throughout Fiordland and down the down the west coast of Rakura, and they walk around and pick up rubbish from the beaches and then chopper it out. Huge logistic operation. So, so yeah, there's those projects, but there's also heaps of um, you know terrestrial projects going on as well with with trapping and species conservation work too. I think that should be a new TV series. I agree. Underwater biosecurity officer. <laughs> that would be amazing. That too, wouldn't it be a great documentary? Or a movie or something. Maybe it could be reality TV. Exactly. It'd be so exciting. A proper reality. I like that. Although it's not going to found, found like a big drug haul, is it? It's a, well, an, you never there's know. There's an I found one. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you'd find on there. <laughs> Rebecca, we've seen lots of changes in society over the, the last year. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Uh, I was hoping this slow pace of life would stick, but I can tell you it surely hasn't in my household. Um, we're back into the thick of it. Um, I think the connection with people is what's going to stick. I mean, I think um, I'm... Maybe it's just the stage of life I'm at. I don't know, but I feel like people are being more real with each other and being more like maybe we're having more conversations, and so they, the conversations are getting deeper. But I just feel like yeah, people are being more authentic and um, vulnerable, and all those woo woo words. <laughs> um, so I hope that I feel like our connections just more yeah meaningful and authentic at the moment, which. Um, which I'll put down to COVID. I don't know if that's the actual reason. It strikes me as being strange that the 
it took us not being allowed to be together for us to realize how much we like being together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's also shown that we can be together virtually and that we can make differences. We can actually do stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even if we ended up having a bit more time to get stuff done, eh? So, um, yeah, having um, having that flexibility in our the way that we work and um, be, maybe spending a bit lighter on the earth with how we can now have meetings online. I mean, they don't they're not as good as the real thing. Let's be honest. But um, but a mixture of real life meetings and Zoom meetings has um has worked really well for for the guardians at least and other groups I'm involved with. So, um, yeah. Talking about those that being treading lighter on the earth, what lessons do you think we can take from the the pandemic, the pandemic response, for the bigger sorts of questions for um, for for climate change or biodiversity collapse or social injustice? We're not going to fix all those by staying at home for a few weeks. No, unfortunately not. I mean, I. I mean, I don't want to jinx it because we're not through this COVID pandemic yet, but I feel like it has shown us how quickly we can respond and how quickly we can be innovative if only there is the willing to do so. Um, not just the willing from the governments, but from the community as well. And um, I guess, um, it, yeah, there's a, a scientist with an interest in, in climate change. It, it's inherently frustrating that, you know, the science for years now we've been really certain about what's what's coming and what the risks are and, and what the sort of deadlines are um, and yet we just see this complete lack of action just lots of words um, I don't know quite what it's going to take for people to um, apply that same sense of urgency as what we've seen with the response to the COVID pandemic but um, yeah something needs to happen to, to get us all as united on that battle as we have been with the pandemic yeah and seeing that it's that yeah and seeing that it's <laughs> seeing that it's real and i'm thinking about the that sense of urgency and the I, i'm thinking about the your is it your big big sister um organization the guardians of manapuri um certainly big sister in terms of age what? our friends yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but the, the 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 activism that it took to actually get to that sense of urgency so it's really interesting seeing yeah. the progression from that taking protest to in your case it being the fisher people uh, seeing a need to do something and it happening so maybe we are making progress yeah maybe we are and i mean i think um I think the Guardian's model of that kind of collaborative approach to, to management or problem solving, it's very inclusive. It's, I mean, there was, but by all accounts, a, a lot of very heated meetings and arguing and, you know, banging tables and things like that. But they got there in the end. It just took time and it took took trust um, and openness and, and sharing of, of ideas and knowledge. And, and it also took the right people to, um, you need people involved in, in these conversations that have the ability to listen to others' points of view and then to reflect on that and be open to changing their own mindset based on what they've heard. Um, if everyone just goes in with a, a very sort of staunch view or position on something, you're never going to get anywhere, um, apart from maybe the court or something. Or, yeah. 
her into a brawl. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I think I think Australians are kind of paved the way there for demonstrating that you can tackle these big problems with this with this approach. Um, and we are seeing, you know, that collaborative approach now being applied to heaps of different problems all around New Zealand with mixed levels of success. And I suspect that those mixed levels of success do come down to the people that have been involved and the, um, the amount of um, time and resource that has been provided to those groups to get to where they need to get to. You know, you can't do this in, at the deadline and you can't have any preconceived ideas about where it's going to end up. It needs to be a very open, um, yeah, open-minded process. Let's take the second of your music choices, because I nearly forgot about it, but we are going to play it. <laughs> Let's have Trinity Roots, Homeland and Sea. Why this one? Uh, um, you know, I was talking earlier about how it all got a bit twitchy down on the island before we came back for lockdown um, in Dunedin. And um, I I got quite anxious, as did the rest of the community. Uh, we, we, we were worried about the amount of people flocking to the island and what sort of levels of COVID they might be bringing with them and how we had no doctors on the island. Um, and so I took to listening to a lot of calming music and long walks on the beach to try and um, get my head together. And um, I've always loved Trinity Roots. I had the pleasure of hanging out with Warren Maxwell down at um, Scott Base in Antarctica a few years ago. And just he's just the most incredible guy. And um, I just love I just love his music. It, it centers me. So enjoy it.
Rebecca, I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Ooh, um, quick questions, eh? Big ones. Um, I feel like uh, just on a whole, I've managed to build a lot of momentum in the different projects I'm involved with and um, and things are now starting to, to take on some life, which has been really exciting, so I work and fuel them with the guardians. We're starting to really get on top of some of the big problems and make some make some real progress, and that feels um, really satisfying. Um, and and then I've been uh, working on my um, community tapping project called Chirp, the Chain Hills Restoration Project, and we've managed to get um, our first big track line installed across about a thousand hectares of um, of hill country around um, my property. So um, that's been awesome for our community. Well done on that. We are writing a book of these conversations, and we're actually writing two. One of them is Mawira's thesis. The other one is called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team. 
what is your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? <laughs> oh, thanks for inviting me to your mansion. Superpower. Um, I think I, this sounds a little bit up myself, but I feel like I bring a bit of a vibe. So I bring a bit of a vibe into the room. <laughs> what <do you> mean? <laughs> there you go, vibing. Superpower. I don't think we've had that before. <laughs> we have not. Okay, new superpower. But I totally agree with you. <laughs> Ooh, that would have been awkward if you'd said, oh, I don't know about <laughs> So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, yeah, I guess I do. I mean, I don't like confrontation. I tend to avoid it. But if there's something I believe strongly about, then, yeah, absolutely. Um. I'm not one to go like go around lecturing people on how they should be doing things. I prefer to kind of bring people along on the journey, um, slowly, softly kind of approach and, and um, yeah, acting, uh, yeah, doing what I say I'll do, I guess, is how I'm an activist. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, <laughs> my awful, my god-awful alarm clock, usually, but um, <laughs> followed by... Um, I just always want to make sure that what I'm doing is making a difference. I want to leave, leave you know, the places where I have the privilege of being I'm in a better state or the people that I'm with um, better for knowing me. So um, that's what that's what motivates me, I guess, on the, on the high level. Yeah. We wrote a degree programme which ended up getting called the Bachelor of Leadership for Change a few years ago, but the working title was Bachelor of Making a Difference. But we weren't allowed to call it that on the basis that it would have been be mad. <laughs> I really I would have like that. We thought that They're the just... people. We thought we, our argument was is that the people who would sign up would love that title. Anybody that doesn't love that title shouldn't do the program. I agree. I would do the title just to have that title. <laughs> Rebecca McLeod, be mad. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. If you need a little support, I'll write you one. <laughs> so what challenges are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, yeah, I just want to keep continuing the work I'm doing at the moment. Like I say, I think we're hitting a pretty sweet spot with the, with a couple of these projects. So, um, But, yeah, I'm going to keep on... Uh, Keep on keeping on with, with bringing these communities together and um, making positive change. So, yeah. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Advice for your listeners? Ah, oh, oh my gosh. Don't feel like I'm qualified to get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, lead with a smile. That would be my advice. I mean, I think a, I think a smile and a, it breaks down barriers and it gets you places, um, and they're infectious. Mawira. Um, Rebecca, it has been really lovely listening to you. I really appreciate your enthusiasm. I'm working through some really heavy sort of concepts and ideas uh, at the moment, and, and to hear someone with so much passion and, and obvious love and care for our natural environment makes me feel very hopeful, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Mawira, and all the best with your PhD thesis. That's enormous. Very thank proud you. of you. Thank you. Right, thank shall, you. We, shall we go out to the Octopus's Garden or Yellow Submarine? Oh, Octopus's Garden.
Done. Thank you very much for joining I'd us. Like to be <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Under the sea In an octopus's garden In the shade He'd let us in Knows where we've been In his octopus's garden In the shade garden near a cave We would sing and dance around Because we know we can't be found I'd like to be under the sea In an octopus's garden in the shade to Blowing Bubbles, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann. I am with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani. And we were joined by Rebecca McLeod, who is in the Chain Hills in Dunedin. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.